All right, guys, let's talk about Jägermeister. They could have written a totally normal ad here, like a really classic ad. They could have talked about their history, the 56 botanicals. It could have been all salesy and cutesy, but they know you don't care. Jägermeister doesn't want to be like all those other ads you've seen and heard. They just wanted to say two things. Jägermeister is great, but everyone has been drinking it wrong. Damn, that's cold. Drinking it wrong? All right, if that's the case, how should we be drinking it? They are so glad you asked, and so am I, Dad. I'm here to help you. Ice cold is the answer, at zero degrees Fahrenheit to be exact. Ice cold shots of Jägermeister. That's it. That's all they want to tell you. So wherever you are, if you're hanging out with friends or at the bar, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jägermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York. Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf, Gojo and Golik, Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving in the 2024 NBA postseason. You get it. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to DraftKings Network. It's a beautiful What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That's me. With me, as always, a full house here on a Wilder Wednesday. Super producer Brandon Newman, my father, Mike Golick Sr., uh, live from the basement studio. And I believe we've got her dialed up now. She is sprinting over from the Meadowlark Studios. She's actually in a lovely studio today down in South Beach. We will get here dialed up momentarily. But Charlotte Wilder, Meadowlark mm-hmm. Media's very own, at this point, we could say NBA draft reporter and analyst, going to show up and hang out with us today. She does it all. She's yes. a very, very, very versatile and got the, uh, the interview with Victor. Wed- oh, there she is. Ah, there she is. Okay, well, there she is. All right. <laughs> Ber- down to the wire, uh, clutch player here. Thanks for having me. It's it's incredible, and you know what? This is great. Charlotte comes bursting in on a day where we're really we're really going to need her. We've got a great show as always. Download, subscribe, rate, review, five star rating. DraftKings YouTube, DraftKingsNetwork.com. Charlotte Wilder uh, is going to help us work through a couple of things here. We have got 
to take a look back at her trip to the NBA draft where she met Victor Wembanyama, right. Wembanyama, Grady Dick, and the whole bunch there. We have got large ship news today, yes, which is do. going to be incredibly helpful with Charlotte, as well as some interesting stuff going on in the NIL world in college football. So all things that Charlotte can help us out with. But Charlotte, as you come bursting through here, for anyone watching on YouTube, <laughs> you can see the beautiful background of the Meadowlark Media Studios in South Beach. Charlotte, how have you been? We didn't get to talk to you last week after your trip to the NBA draft where we saw you about around a bunch of really tall people. How'd that go? They are so tall. They are so, <laughs> so tall. Um, it was amazing. It was really, really great. I mean, you know, I always offer to cover the draft because it's a mile from my house. So, so you know, I walked home. It was awesome. Um, but, you know, <laughs> it, it's, be, it's become such a a favorite of mine because I, I go and every year I'm sort of like, why do people go to this? Like, why, why, you know, you're essentially, it's like if your company were electing a new CFO and everyone got together in the auditorium and then, and they like made a big deal out of it and handed him a hat. Like it's essentially a, a business deal. Um, and all these fans I talked to were like, no, it's hopes and dreams coming true. Like this is the best night of the year. Wizards fans and Knicks fans were like, this is usually our Super Bowl, So it was uh, it, it was a beautiful thing, really, and um, I got to say hello and uh, ask Victor Wimbanyama to say "Remember the Alamo in French," which he didn't know what it was, and I didn't know how to how to explain it. Yeah, I want to I want to get to that in a second, but you're right about the dress fans. I mean, it is their Valhalla because everybody's O and O. You know, everybody has the thought process that they can win a championship, even the worst teams in whatever league is drafting. But it's their time to shine because they're not out of the playoff hunt. Well, <laughs> and also with the NBA fans, it's got to be particularly confusing. When I see even Ryan Rossillo yeah. tweeting that it's difficult for him to sometimes follow the NBA draft action because they don't execute the trades before the pick is made. That's right. all done after the pick is made. And so if you're a fan, you're sitting there half the time wondering, all right, should I celebrate the guy that just put our hat on? Is he going to be moved to a different team? And so, thankfully, this year, it seemed like, Charlotte, it was all pretty easy up top. With the exception of Grady Dick, I feel like he's the one thing I wasn't prepared for on draft night. I saw you got to give him a little drive-by dap, Charlotte. How did the ruby red suit look in person compared to what we all saw on television? I, I don't know if there are words to describe it, except that I imagine... Do you guys watch Righteous Gemstones? You do. We talked about this. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, the... Tim Tim Balls, the actor who plays um, BJ, who wears the most ridiculous, like his outfits yes. become more and more ridiculous. Grady Dick felt like the final form of BJ from Righteous Gemstones. I don't know if anyone realizes just how wide the shoulder pads were. Uh, it, he looked like he had football pads under there. And um, he wore it with such confidence and I hope that translated to the screen, but in real life it was it was a magical sight to behold. So I'm going to ask you, Charlotte, because Mike and myself, our fashion knowledge is, is not lack, great. Is it, lacking. Is it lacking. doesn't exist. Shoulder pads were a big thing for my wife and our generation in the 80s. Is Are they back now, or did he just kind of go out on a limb here? Where are we with the whole shoulder pad thing in your outfits? You know, I think that shoulder pads are back. I think that everything is back a little bit. I think that we are, not to get too philosophical on, on you, Mikes, but uh, I think we're in an age where fashion is so, the, the trends are so fast that everything can kind of always be in. Like 
some people are in the 70s, some people are in the 90s. I guess the shoulder pads in the 80s have come sort of like me barging through the door. Um, so I, I think I'm going to look this up after and get back to you for sure next week, but I'm, I'm pretty sure shoulder pads are back. Uh, yeah, I've not gotten to the shoulder pad portion of TikTok yet. Most of it is Gen Z kids making Grimace murder videos in honor yes. of the McDonald's milkshake. Oh so we'll try and sort through the fashion portion of those things and give everyone an answer on shoulder pads. But it was awesome draft coverage. I saw you, Pablo Torre out there. It was a ton of fun to watch. That's a big celebratory night. Dad, we're also coming up right now on... A lot of decisions being made as far as the next step in the NBA. We've seen a bunch of trades executed, and we know a lot of the decisions coming up on player options. And we saw getting batted around this morning. James Harden, that reportedly, a while back with the 76ers, I had seen reported that he was going to turn down his $36.5 million player option right. for this upcoming season. According to Adrian Wojnarowski, the ESPN NBA insider now, apparently he still hasn't decided on that with what his future might look like in Philadelphia. Well, I know they're talking. They, Philly and, and Harden have been talking, so let's see what they're trying to work out because I think unlike he, – he took a haircut last year. Yes. Right, uh, in his pay – only $36 million. But I think you have two different scenarios. With the Draymond Green who turned down his player option for like 26-7 or something like that. The thought is that he'll sign a like a three, two, three, four-year deal for more money, obviously, than that, but lesser per, per year. year. Yeah. But he'll still get guaranteed, you know, 60, 70 million or what it is, whatever it is. Where Harden, it seems, Charlotte maybe turning down that player option and looking for more than 36 mil. But I'm going to say right now, his max can be what? Four for 213? Four for 213 I, million. I'm not giving him that, Charlotte. I, I am, I even though 20 and 10 for his age last year was one of the best ever for a, a player that old, I just, I just don't trust him enough in the playoffs to go four for 213 if, in fact, that's even on the table. No, I don't either. I think you, you watching him in the playoffs this year, it was again disappointing. You're just he at this point you're sort of waiting for him to fall apart every year. And I think that going from team to team, it, it's hard to believe that a guy who has wanted out from so many places and then gone so many other places, it it, start, it starts to be like, well, what's the through line here? Um, and if I were Harden, I'd be like, I'm going to take the best thing I can get right now because I don't know how many other better options there are going to be. Well, and better options from a competitive standpoint, because the one thing we've heard right. all offseason was that looming specter of the Houston Rockets, yes. of a Harden homecoming based on one man's affinity for a city and strip club culture <laughs> that apparently supersedes <laughs> everything else. And in an offseason where Mariah Mills was a dominant headline in the NBA, yeah. we should not discount the ability for something off the wall to happen. But I still go back to, one, I think I'm surprised that he still hasn't technically declined this option. That, to me, indicates maybe there's some level of reciprocity between player and organization because, for him, it would have made sense if he was just going after the money to turn that down right away, make it abundantly clear, and say, hey, we're supposed to be working on this thing long-term. If there's some sort of understanding that he wants to be there, would there be any sort of give by Harden because of what we understand is coming, right? This is all about, everyone's moves this offseason are about getting underneath these new aprons that are going to be enforced after next season. All these different tax levels in the NBA that are going to try and thwart super teams, try and make roster building even harder on these teams that had marquee talented players. Because if you're Philadelphia, I'm sorry, I still go back to, 
the moves you made to get Harden over there, coupled with, I think, the lack of viable options that exist right now for you outside of that to pair with Joel Embiid during his prime, make it pretty difficult for you to not re-sign James Harden at this point. And it's just going to be a matter of, does James Harden look at the situation and understand, all right, we can get creative on this with Daryl Morey, a guy he knows very right. well, yeah. so that we can keep ourselves in contention and maintain some of that flexibility. Because if you're James Harden, maybe that desire for a championship's more than what we've seen from the outside. That, that I, I mean, that I don't know from him. Is it a money thing? And if it's a, just a money thing, maybe he's also realizing he may not get the money somewhere, right? If Is someone going to pay him that kind of money if it's not Philadelphia? And will Philadelphia pay him? So is there that realization? Or does he have the leverage on Philadelphia knowing the moves, just what you said, knowing the moves Philadelphia made, that they got to have him back and he may have the upper hand there. I'm sure that's all the stuff they're dealing with right now. Uh, I, I don't know how it ends, but but I, I understand what you're saying about what you gave up to get him, and you might as well try and keep him to make this run with him. But, man, that's just – they are making a lot of money in the NBA, so it's not like anybody's going broke. But, boy, with the new rules coming in, you can get hammered, Charlotte. Maybe maybe James Harden just really likes his house in Philly. Maybe he's, like, gotten really attached to his local coffee shop. He's, like – I don't want to move again. I mean, you know, I say this jokingly, but also if it were me, I'd be like, ah, I don't know. We, you know, I've, I've got, I finally got something good going here. And I mean, I don't know where he lives though. I got to go stalk his house on Zillow somehow. Can someone, <laughs> well, can someone find me James Harden's address? Well, Charlotte, remember, I think that was reportedly the case when he was in Brooklyn that everyone kept bringing up, is that apparently he really likes the area, or really liked where he lived in Brooklyn, and was particularly attached to that. And so we saw with enough Kyrie Irving, anything is possible, and your realtor can get some work when he's at the heart of these decisions. Buy a made. house in Brooklyn, buy a house in Philly, buy a house in your next well, stop. it's not just I about mean, buying the house, did, it's about ready access. If I could access. buy a house in Brooklyn... If I could buy a house in Brooklyn, I would, is all I'm saying. Someone wants to, someone wants to, you know, make that happen. Harden and I will, he can stay in Philly, I'll go. stay in Brooklyn. Maybe he's looking for a roommate yeah. at the upstairs <laughs> portion of the Rent house. Out, someone huh? to watch the house while he's out <laughs> gallivanting around Philadelphia or Houston or wherever James Harden ends up going as we near some big time decision making dates that are going to come to a head in the NBA. Summertime is an awesome chance to enjoy some downtime, but also focus on taking care of myself before I get to the grind of fall football season and everything that comes with that. So I like to make sure I'm getting outside, moving around, eating as best I can, and of course using some sunscreen, especially on top of my bald head, to protect myself. And whether you're off to the pool, hiking, or traveling this summer, remember you're always bringing your microbiome with you. That's the 38 trillion bacteria that live in and on you, especially in your gut, that are essential to whole body health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic benefits your gut, skin, and heart health in just two capsules a day. I've been taking Seed for about a month now, and DSO-1 has been awesome for me. I feel more regular, my skin looks and feels great, and it's incredibly convenient. I can store it right in the cabinet with all my other supplements because I don't have to worry about refrigerating it, and the free travel vial that I got with the Welcome Kit allows me to take DSO-1 on the go with me wherever I am during this busy summer. Because remember, your body's an ecosystem, and great whole body health starts in the gut. Your gut's that central hub for all the various pathways throughout your body. 
body. And a healthy gut microbiome means benefits for digestion, skin health, heart health, your immune system, and so much more. And it's backed by a ton of science with clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals. Seeds probiotic research and development make DSO-1 a product you know you can trust. Not only has every ingredient been tested individually in scientific studies for their safety, dosage, and benefits, the DSO-1 formulation as a whole has been evaluated in two clinical trials. So support your gut this summer with Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25gojo. By the way, while we're on the subject of the NBA, uh, had a deep like July sports talk summer moment yesterday, yeah. which I'm I'm appreciating watching the first time content creators and the Kelsey brothers realize what a difficult road to toe July sports talk radio yes. is. Charlotte, I'm sure you appreciated Jason or Travis Kelsey going out on Pardon My Take saying podcasting is the hardest that job that he's ever done. As now he realizes not having football each and every week makes the job considerably harder. The respect finally earned for the rest of us in the industry, Char. Well, he, yeah, totally, Mike. I was like, finally, someone sees my plight. No, I, uh, I quote tweeted something about that on on Twitter, and I was like, uh, you know, finally, someone understands like all the sacrifices I've made. And then uh, this was actually the best case scenario: is that a few people on Twitter thought I was serious and were like, try digging a ditch in ninety degree weather. Oh like, gosh. what are you sitting in sixty seven degree air conditioning? And I was like, oh, see. This is why podcasting is the best job in the world because you can like obviously this is obviously this is not the hardest job in the world like come on but uh, I do think that July starts to I mean at least we've got like NBA free agency we've got summer league it's after that like July 17 on that you you know you there's got to be a lot of baseball content you need you really need a lot of stuff to happen in baseball. I, I even go before that. I, I say what was missing out of, out of um, Travis Kelsey was it's the hardest job to do. Throw in radio sports talk. The hardest job to do after the NBA Finals and before NFL camp starts. So it's basically the third week of June to like the third week of July, that month you have where it's Mount Rushmore of this, Mount Rushmore of that. You know, let if you do a sports talk show, have callers call in, do your work for you. So that that's really the time frame. Or if you're the Dan Patrick show yesterday, you just hope that some old NBA player comes on and decides to slander somebody yeah. else. The sports talk pinging that went on. So if anyone missed this, apparently Dennis Rodman went on a podcast and said that if Larry Bird came up now, he'd be playing in Europe, which prompted on the Dan Patrick show in July of or June of 2023, a discussion about Larry Bird being top 10 all time and who potentially pushes him out. And it all is just hilarious because it's by necessity. This is the same reason we made the last dance live content discussed during the pandemic, but also surprised me a little bit because I generally thought Larry Bird was respected enough to be above reproach in these conversations. I thought after JJ Reddick spoken into existence that we had universally agreed Bob Cousy was the guy that we slandered. Let's, like if we were looking for an old player, we just went to Bob and we got our takes let, off Let's there. just say right now, Larry Bird ain't the one. Larry Bird is not the one to sit there and debate whether he's going to be top 10 or not. I, I, I hate the era comparisons because you're talking about an 80s player dropping him into 2023. It, it's ridiculous because it, it's to me it's dumb to look at because 
it can't happen the way you're saying. Because if he played now, he'd have been raised in today's game. So that's what I keep saying. I hate to throw cold water on the stupid era conversations, but I'm going to. If Larry Bird played today, he'd have grown up in this era. But just just, just for the sake of this argument, take Larry Bird's game and put it today. It's a joke he wouldn't be in the top 10. Dude was a great shooter, and you're so much more freed up in today's game to shoot if you're a great shooter, I mean, it's ludicrous to think he wouldn't be a top 10 guy. Well, Charlotte, he just basically seems like Nikola Jokic athleticism and kind of similar game, better shooter, but with just more bleep talking. Like, Larry Bird also was him in that regard in a way that would have been really fun in today's game. <laughs> oh, yeah, he has a dog in him for sure. Uh, I think um, I, I think that, the you know, Mike Sr., you just sort of fell for what the whole premise is, yeah. is that even as you're sitting here saying, you know, how dumb it is to do this, like, we're getting minutes out of it. They got a little bit of a rise out of you. You know, you start talking about how it's just, it's not possible. And that's, I personally think that that is the beauty of summer sports talk radio, is that as much as you try to not fall into these traps, like, they're so much more fun to fall into than not. They are, because at the end of the day, we all do kind of love this stuff. Oh, I, I, I agree. And and quite honestly, at some point, you're going to have a legitimate argument. So if you sit there and rattle off some of the top 10, you know, Michael Jordan, LeBron, Shaq, Steph Curry, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, Wilt, Kareem, Kobe, at some point, there's going to be other players that we're going to say, okay, are they top 10? And who are you moving out? Because you can't have 25 top 10 players. Right. So if you're putting one in, which which guy in the top 10, whatever list you want to work on, is first to be pushed out by whatever modern player outside of LeBron and Steph is going to end up maybe in the top 10 all time. Yeah, well, and that's the thing is, right, is we already know LeBron and Steph, I, I would yeah. say both comfortably in there at I, this I, point. I would agree with that. And then yes. you've got Jokic, who now that he's won the championship and satisfied that desire for some people, is I think going to start very seriously being entered into a lot of the all-time bigs conversations too. So that stuff all is going to happen. My favorite byproduct of all this, though, Charlotte, as you pointed out with the reaction, is... Because I said I thought we had gotten to Bob Cousy as the name to slander, I ended up trying to do my due diligence and go watch a bunch of Bob Cousy highlights on YouTube last night. And I got to say, while J.J. Redick pointed out he was playing against plumbers and guys with other jobs, and that was always the thing, Bob Cousy, silky passer, <laughs> really creative in that way, doing a bunch of unnecessary behind-the-back stuff I'd imagine before that was sanctioned by your coaches. The only thing is... The skyhook when you're not one of the big guys in the paint kind of looks goofy, so he's scoring his buckets off dirt like that. And at the end of the day, my biggest takeaway was, Charlotte, he just looks like if Forrest Gump had decided to play basketball, that was Bob Cousy as far as the look. He looked like he was playing in a wrestling singlet out there and just felt like running. Look, I think that saying someone is a lesser player because they played against plumbers is a little bit of a flawed argument. I think, uh, I think that you get those... Talk about dogging him. You get those plumbers out there. You, I mean, people care. People care a lot, and they can put a lot of um, 
I don't know. I, we should bring plumbers back into the NBA is what I think I'm saying. <laughs> uh, listen, that's but, a great version of pros versus Joes where instead of sticking one normal person in Olympic events like people have always wanted, right. you have one plumber playing an NBA game in every game. Bob Cousy averaged 18-5, seven and a half, six-time champ, 57 MVP, 10-time first-team All-NBA. Yeah, oh, by haircut. the way, by the way, in 47 at Holy Cross, they won the national title. I mean, this guy's career, and you're, you're calling him the Forrest Gump uh, of, of the NBA then? I'm just saying, he had that look about him. He had the Forrest Gump haircut. <laughs> it's not yeah. my fault he decided to do that. Run, Bob, run. Everyone needs to start <laughs> training their area's best plumber right now for when Adam Silver <laughs> scraps the midseason tournament and goes to the plumber <laughs> off. Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Well, Charlotte's right. The desired effect has been achieved. We've lost my dad now on the podcast. He's Googling NBA top 10 lists. He stumbled on a list that Charles Barkley apparently did within the last year here. And we found out Larry Bird and Magic Johnson are nowhere to be found in Charles's top 10. And now dad's ticked off. Brandon's ticked off. It's all hell's broken loose. Man, it is. It is something. Charles top 10. 1 to 10. Michael Jordan, Oscar Robertson, Wilt, Kareem, Bill Russell, Kobe, LeBron at seven, Tim Duncan, Hakeem, and Jerry West. No Magic Johnson, no Larry Bird, no Elgin Baylor, no Shaq. He said they're right behind. And the reason LeBron is seven behind Kobe and Michael, he said, I love LeBron, but the difference, in my opinion, is Michael and Kobe will kill you. Oh, God. LeBron is a nice guy. Ain't nobody ever said Kobe and Michael were nice guys. Those words, those words have never been spoken about Michael or Kobe and with I LeBron think they have. That is my least favorite <laughs> modern argument that's come up because we've seen current players talk about that too. Yeah. They the thing, no one's scared of LeBron James right, or right. however they wanted to phrase it right. here, as if that sort of like little giants, what are these for intimidation yeah, factor yeah. is the be all end all in a th- on an argument that's supposed to be about skill. This is how you get led to Brandon Miller saying his goat is Paul George. Just a total misunderstanding of what we're talking about in this entire setup. So this has devolved very quickly into this hellscape. So I'm going to try and pull us out of this. Okay. With a bit of name, image, and likeness news from college football. Something else that everybody loves hearing. Appreciate that. I do. Charlotte, I just think it's interesting that at this point now, I think we're coming up on year three of name, image, and likeness as reality in the world of college sports. And we have seen since the very beginning, the NCAA cowering in the corner, hands over their ears, trying to pretend none of this is happening. And originally, if you remember last time on Dragon Ball Z, the NCAA, when this all initially happened, said that, They are going to put out some guidelines, but in general, if your school lives in a state that's got an aim, image, and likeness law that had passed in the beginning, it were very few, but if your state had a law that was passed, you would adhere to that state law. It would supersede the NCAA's law. Mm -hmm. That was when a lot of the state laws were a little more restrictive than the NCAA laws. Now, fast forward, the NCAA put out a memo yesterday 
sending to all the different schools and the memo, including a reminder that schools must adhere to the NCAA legislation when it conflicts with permissive state laws. In the memo, the NCAA said that if state laws supersede NCAA policy, you got to follow the NCAA policy because you are voluntarily a part of a national organization that makes these rules. They basically said, you volunteered for this, so you have to listen to us. And almost immediately, we heard from Ross Bjork, the uh, Texas A&M athletic director, saying, we're going to follow the state laws yes. and everything else is going to come second to that. Charlotte, it's all turned to and dad. Basically, one big game of, well, my dad's a lawyer, and he'll sue you if you don't do what we're saying right now. And Charlotte, I think it ends with nobody actually having the gall to pull the trigger on this. I think the NCAA has showed its ass time and time again in this process that it has no teeth when it comes to enforcing anything meaningful or actionable in the NIL world. Oh, yeah. The NCAA was basically like, we're the feds. Federal law supersedes state law. And everyone's like, no, you're not. Everyone's like, literally show me one federal building that you own. Like you are you are a cute <laughs> little organization. Like we're going to go with the state laws. I mean, they did get Charlie Baker, you know, the former governor of Massachusetts. So right. maybe they're really trying to beef up on the government thing. But like. I, I don't th I don't see any of that happening. I think that they're just going to go back to I mean, if they were smart, they'll just go back to plugging their ears because I think it seems better not to have to try to deal with it than to try to deal with it. This is a group that was Punch's pilot in the beginning. They said, we're washing our hands of this states and government. You take care of it. We're not, and, and conferences, you take care of it. Now they're trying to grow a set of George Washington wooden teeth here to have zero bite, right? To say, oh, now look at the rules we have, and you will follow our rules and not the state rules. And <laughs> your schools are going, yeah, that's what we're going to do. But I'm with you about the lawsuits, Mike. I would be surprised because the only people making money there are the lawyers, and you're pouring millions of millions of dollars away in these lawsuits if they were to happen you've seen it every turn when the ncaa has tried to go up against any of the new rules and regulations oh, around smoked. this they've gotten drubbed because lawmakers see an easy win with their constituents who all want state you to perform really well and that's sort of what's governed this change charlotte and the desire for the ncaa to want to work here states are starting to go on the offensive dad i likened it the other day so for anyone that's ever listened or familiar with the process of how ESPN became a juggernaut in the early days of cable television. When they first started out, they had to go to cable companies and pay cable companies to be a part of their package. Right. Somewhere along the way, they figured out, wait a minute, we're really valuable. You kind of need us. Your subscribers are not going to want this product without ESPN in there. And so they reversed polarity and said, you're going to pay us now and you're going to pay us a lot each month to be in your subscription. And that completely changed the outlook right. of that company, the rise of ESPN. With this, it was originally these states came up with laws that were a little bit more restrictive than what the NCAA was posing. Now they're going the complete opposite direction. Texas, for example, has a state law that includes a provision that says the conferences are prohibited or the NCAA from punishing any school that takes advantage of new NIL uh, activities. 
Like in Texas, where they can now at schools provide perks for donors in exchange for name, image, and likeness dollars. They can give them an advantage if they donate to this fund right. that ends up paying the players. And then they throw in there, oh, by the way, if you try and do anything, we'll just sue you. They figured out, oh, wait a minute, we don't need to be cautious because they're not going to do anything. So now we can really game this so that everybody inside our state walls, our big state schools, have a better chance of succeeding than the ones out there now. And the NCAA, because of how they've chose to improve to approach this entire problem, really isn't going to find themselves with a leg to stand on in a world where college athletics seem to be changing faster than ever. I mean, the the NCAA basically let the horse out of the barn, and now they're trying to build a fence yep. around the barn. And I just think that it. I, I don't know that I can say, you know, they should have done things differently because I think everyone keeps saying how wild, wild west the NIL situation is. I mean, we've never, there's nothing to compare it to. So nobody had any clue the best way to deal with it. But maybe the NCAA should have taken a little bit more time and instead of plugging their ears thought like, okay, well, hold on. Maybe we should, maybe we should talk about this or, or find a way that this can work for everybody. So it's a little bit more of a collaborative process than just you know schools versus the NCAA states versus like it, it, it got so messy so quickly because I don't think there was enough sitting down and being like wait a second what if we map this out a little bit more Listen, the NCAA and trying to do anything productive is an afterthought. P people are like, oh, yeah, right. Okay, you're going to try and do that. So they have a whole lot to prove action-wise yeah. before we're going to buy into them anymore. I, I think maybe as interesting or more interesting is how long will this even last? You know, there's, there's more than a few articles out now about it's called donor fatigue, where in the beginning, man, donors were just filling the coffers, the war chests, as they were calling it, to get these athletes. But how deep are the pockets? What's the return on investment? You're seeing big-time donors, they get their name on a building or, or a plaque with the name on the building. They like that. What are they getting with this? What's the return on investment here, especially with only four teams making the playoffs? If you're in the playoff, great. If you're in the, as one guy put it, if you're in the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, what is that doing for next year's donation? I mean, listen, if you're in the Pop-Tart Bowl, though, I know, totally I, different animal. I, now I, all of a sudden we're cooking with gas. I agree Let's with that. Let's not even talk about Cheez-It. Exactly right. So I'm with you. So there is a return on investment there. It's called a great snack. But overall, how long is this going to go? And they're saying smart schools are telling their major donors, we only have to do this for a few years because revenue sharing is coming down the line. That, if that happens, that's going to be a, this has already been a major change of NIL. If we get to revenue sharing, you know what that is then. Now the players are employees. Now they're going to get unionized. Now we're doing CBAs like in, in professional sports if you get to revenue sharing. So to me, that's interesting as far as donors now. They say group of five schools, on average, three to five million they're getting. Power fives, the ambitious ones, are getting five to fifteen million dollars. But the word thought is, if you get six one year, you need nine the next year and twelve the year after that. So where where does it end, and does it end with revenue sharing? This has been the question since the beginning, which is, 
would everyone be willing to keep up the efforts if things don't go well on the field? Right. So you mentioned Eric Prisbell over at On3 was the one that kind of wrote the article that yep. started all this, talking about donor fatigue. Matt Brown, who does a great job with the Extra Points newsletter, I think kind of spun it forward into this conversation about what's the horizon for this right now? What can you do sustainably? Because your return on investment, part of what people tried to pitch early, Charlotte, was, well, you'd have different access to players. You would get unique content behind the scenes that is kind of hard to deliver on over time. I think what we notice is, like everything else with college sports, and especially college football, I always say, if you want to see where things are going, look at European soccer. They're the most similar structurally because of the amount of teams there and then how different the world is for certain teams at the higher level because of money. And everyone, when we first started this, thought, oh, this is a great opportunity if you weren't one of the powers to be able to flood the zone with money in a different way and all of a sudden try and reap the benefits. But we're learning not everybody is built for the long game. Not everybody has money like those few top schools right. that were already spending over the top on facilities, under the table money for players, all these different areas where they had the advantage, which is why we see similar names at the top of college football, especially almost every year. And so, Charlotte, I look at this and say, I think we're seeing once again, this thing is going to stratify in the same uh, lane for all of the people that have been the big money for a long time. And then it's going to come to a point where the other conversation we always have around soccer is the Super League thing. Nick Saban, when he sat down with Joel Klatt the other day, vaguely hinted at that as an idea. Right. And when you hear the powerful people around college sports starting to whisper about things out loud in public, that's where you need to start to take the idea seriously that it might be here sooner than later. Totally. I mean, didn't they, they tried to do a super league, didn't they? And then, and then it fell apart. And so Texas was like, okay, fine. I guess we'll just join the SEC. Um, and I think that, you know, to go back to the NBA draft for a second, like I was going through Grady Dick's Instagram and he has endorsed absolutely everything you could possibly endorse for every possible <laughs> small business in Kansas. I mean, he's like, he's, he's shilling for car washes. Like there's a thing of him using a car wash app. And, and I think that with a player like that, sure, you're going to get somewhat of a return on investment, even if it's just people like me going through and being like, oh, this car wash in Kansas exists. But these players don't have the time that is necessary for these donors to feel um, taken care of or special. I mean, they have to go to school, they have to eat, they have to go to practice, they have to go to their games. Like, it is very hard to get in, as you were saying, Mike, that behind the scenes content that these people want. And so it starts to feel a little bit like, okay, we've got Grady for 40 minutes. Let's put him in a car and send him through the car wash. And I, I think the reality of the situation for the people looking for something, um, it works well if you want to be able to say that, you know, this guy who endorsed our car wash got drafted to the NBA, but that's not going to happen with everybody. Like with the linemen who have a deal with a burrito company in town. And, and I think it becomes much more psychological than monetary at a certain point where it's how much do people want to be associated with these players? How much do people want to say we are connected? We are, we are directly connected to this program. And if that starts to lose any cachet or become too widely available, I think that, yeah, you, you do start to, to run into problems. And as you said, Mike, it's, it's the people at the top are just going to, I mean, obviously the people at the top are going to stay at the top, but you know what I'm trying to say? Like it's, it's, sort of an arms race that that might be slowing down yeah the same things are still going to govern it because at the end of the day 
The wins and losses are the ultimate ego stroke that these donors want. They want their egos fed by being able to, instead of pointing to a building with their name on it, point to a football team that just won their division in the SEC or is going to the college football playoff and saying, oh yeah, I made that happen. Yeah. There is a huge portion of that group of fans that are the rich ones throwing their money at things that just want to point and be able to say, look what I did with my money for the school that we all love. And and again, that's that's a hit or miss, right? Because you're getting donors that, that are donating to these collectives, a lot of money up front to some of the players, and then the a play A, the player doesn't pan out, or he's in the portal. And now all of a sudden you're like, where the hell did my money go? You know, it's almost that's like... Actually- the, Go ahead. No, no, no. I just think it's hilarious if you start, if there, like, there should be contracts with NIL deals that they have to be for two years so that if you have a kid who is, you know, hawking a car wash in Kansas, when he goes to Missouri, he still has to be very actively promoting that car wash in Kansas. Like, let's, let's, let's jumble it all up. Let's make, let's make people promote things across state lines. Let's get real messy with it. See, I, I the the problem is it started out and it still is the wild wild west and everybody grabbed anything they could. It's kind of like coaches. We all see coaches sign six year deals and leave in two, and we get all pissed off about that, saying they should have to stay for X amount of time. Well, as soon as schools started letting them go and taking the buyout money, that was never going to happen. For the lack of a better term, you're not putting the horse back in the barn. And when these players are getting this upfront money. That's not going to change, I don't think, either, because it's already been done. And that's what I think ultimately goes back to, again, conversation we had around what Nick Saban said is, all of the things about the way the system works now that are messy are because you won't admit the central premise that these people are employees. That this is the system we've stumbled onto now, where... The NIL as it exists currently in this form, right? There are NIL exists on multiple fronts. There are versions, like Charlotte said, where Grady Dick's getting paid to go and endorse a car wash. There are others where an athlete has a legitimate business enterprise that they can now profit off of. And then there's the version that's just pay for play under a fancy different costume here. And you're seeing everyone realize it's a little unwieldy to do this with third-party groups that aren't affiliated with the university. It's a little unwieldy to do this in a way that doesn't have set, steady income that relies on these people to give in a way that's not always going to be annual or monthly or in a way you can count on. And so what's the easiest way to overcome that? Revenue share, collectively bargain, and make them employees if you're the people strictly governing the football side or the basketball side. Because as we know, having to find out whether it's going to be carving out that version of what football and basketball look like going forward versus the other sports that are under the NCAA umbrella, or if it changes the model altogether, all of that is the simpler solution I think will end up being for the money side of these sports that are operating under a pay-for-play under a different name right and, now. And it ain't going to be a simple solution because there's no. so much to go you know, along with that. So right now what they're fighting, you have two different things happening, right? You have players who have agents who are getting them individual deals, right? Like car wash deals or, or crumble cookie deals or, or, or whatever. And then you have the collectives. Some of the collectives out there are starting to say, well, wait a minute, why are we having our donors foot the bill? Let's go out with a marketing group and let's let's get a product to help. There are four or five colleges now that have deals, collectives, not colleges. The collectives have deal with beer companies and part of the sales goes the collective. So the collective is now raising money through marketing, through other products to try and raise money. 
But the same well, thing is, how long is that going to be able to last yeah. if you're in those cases specifically? It's one thing when donors do it for ego, but when a brand like that comes on board, they're definitely going to expect some something tangible return. from that. Yeah. It's also, I think, a question of, you know, the pearl clutching seems to have gotten better when it comes to college sports. You know, people are in favor of paying athletes. And, and I think that last hurdle is, is the word employee going to continue to spook people? Like, is that still, I think there's still people who have a very hard time with, and obviously it's a very hard puzzle to put together in terms of all the other sports that the NCAA oversees. But at, at a certain point, when do we just completely drop whatever facade we're still holding on to that isn't even a facade, right? Yeah, and I think I've been as surprised as I have been about anything in my you know short career in doing this portion of things. But going back to being a college athlete, we were right, Charlotte. I always felt like there was this weird undercurrent of people that really loved college sports that enjoyed the fact that the athletes didn't make any money. And they got to hawk that under the guise of it being a purer game because people weren't swayed by dollars. They were doing it for love of state. You when we knew people come to athletics for all different reasons and not all of it is just this pure love of the game that supersedes everything. I've been surprised at what the reaction has been in a positive way to players getting money because at the end of the day, people just want their team to be good. I can say, I think, and you guys would agree, all that we're talking about, you know what hasn't changed? The game. Everybody said the game's going to be affected. To me, the game has not been affected. It's still a top-heavy sport, and it's going to continue to be a top-heavy sport. And that's as we now get ready to move into playoff expansion and all yep. of the other different rule changes that are coming down the line to try and incentivize more people to be interested and continue to spend heavily in this area. Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. Saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIC, only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18-PLUS, 21-PLUS in certain states, to open or access an account and a resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply, void where prohibited, one per new customer, match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wagers within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. Whew. All right, after a whirlwind day, we are going to land the plane, bring it home, and get ready for some ship talk. That's with a P. With our friend Charlotte Wilders, we hit this, that, and the third. Three quick stories to finish off the day. As always, download, subscribe, rate, review. Let us know more of what you want to hear. And guys, let's start off with this. I saw courtesy of ESPN Stats and Info 26 years ago today, as of the recording of this podcast, was the fight where Mike Tyson bit off Evander Holyfield's ear in the middle of the ring and charlotte all i could think of was man in the internet age what a gold mine of memes this would have been i was talking with mom this morning about what the reaction would have been like because so many people it was disgust towards mike tyson we'd have just memed this thing into oblivion it would have been content gold listen it was though i i like i ate on the playground for weeks with those with those ear jokes ah! i mean I was I was eight years old and I and I just could not get enough of the story. I was like, he bit his ear and then like went deep in you know in a boxing 
rabbit hole. I mean, I've, I was, I was Wikipedia stuff before Wikipedia existed. So I, I think you're right, Mike. I think that if we had had the World Wide Web, this would have been a worldwide meme. So this was right when I finished doing morning radio in Arizona to coming to, to, to Notre Dame, to ESPN, <laughs> to start the National Morning Show with Tony Bruno. Yeah. It was, it was right in that area there before Greeny and I took over or started in 2000. This was, mon I mean, unbelievably monstrous news that, as we talked about this morning, Mike, would have been shifted to memes and, and funny comments to where back then it was like, oh, my God, you know, you obviously don't do this, but with Mike Tyson, it was just part of the whole Mike Tyson thing of you bought a Mike Tyson pay-per-view, not necessarily for the boxing, unless he was going to just destroy a guy oh. in 30 seconds, which you, which you wanted to see the first minute was he going to destroy him. If not, later on in Tyson's career, what crazy thing was going to happen out there? And man, you were rewarded with the Holyfield thing, except if you were a vendor, Holyfield. My favorite Friday night college football tradition was watching on ESPN Classic Mike Tyson's best knockout reel. Oh my God. The punches he missed looked like they could have decapitated God himself. Truly, when you talk about fearing Michael Jordan and yes. Kobe, how they say, this is truly a fearing of somebody, of Mike Tyson. That's why I'm so glad he's podcasting now, because yeah. you can see when he gets going, talking about yeah. who he was back yeah. then. The other people in the studio are legitimately afraid. Oh, without a doubt. And with good reason yes uh so that was i have to say Brandon. i have to say evander holyfield did win out slightly he and mike tyson have edible uh cannabis little ear parts that they're selling under mike tyson's line so making money off of it they teamed up wow monetize everything awesome. man Yep. Awesome. I tell you what yep. chestnut checkers from those guys you have no idea maybe this is all planned now maybe it was a major hoax who's to say who's to say um speaking of someone who's monetizing everything let's get to that wow got the news yesterday so we got the announcement a while back after 41 seasons Pat Sajak was stepping down as the host of Wheel of Fortune and now we find out Ryan Seacrest will be taking over. Ryan Seacrest, um, Seacrest a man who wears Sequest. many hats. Seacrest. Uh, we'll get to the Seacrest soon. Just yeah. finished up live with Ryan, uh, with Kelly and Ryan where he was right. working for six years. He's been a part of so many other things at this point. On air with Ryan Seacrest, American Top 40, Rockin' New Year's Eve. He's got an L.A. radio Idol. show. Idol. Yeah. All these things. Charlotte, where are you at on Ryan Seacrest as the host of Wheel of Fortune? Look, you know, I think that here's a guy who, as far as I know, doesn't have a major scandal to his name, who seems to show up for work on time, seems to do what's asked of him. He's sort of he's sort of, you know, a vanilla piece of cardboard, which but uh, but a nice one. Like he does a fine. He does a good job. And uh, I don't know that Pat Sajak was really, you know, burning anything down. So maybe it's just like the perfect situation. And maybe. The Wheel of Fortune people saw the Jeopardy mess and they were like, nope, we are not doing that. We are getting Ryan Seacrest. No one's going to be mad at us and we will continue as always. Listen, he's the safe guy, right? I mean, he's likable. Yeah. Uh, he's worth all in about $600 million. And and has worked yeah. his ass he, off for that. Listen, That's the one thing I've heard exactly about people right. with Ryan Seacrest is he is involved in every step because, of the process. Because all the jobs we talked about, he's also like the executive producer yes. of a lot of this, these things as well. The one area where it's going to get hairy is with Vanna White. She Vanna, lawyered yeah. up, man. Vanna is 66. I'm nervous. I'm nervous Vanna, for Vanna. Listen, Pat has been making $15 mil a year for a while. Vanna makes three. Three mil, which again, and says she hasn't gotten a raise in, in 18, 18 years, years, I believe is the claim, yeah. which is why she's lawyering, lawyering up, up right now to see, are they going to try and force her out? Because she wants to do new. it. She said, I want to do this till I die. 
So she wants another contract. She wants to keep doing it. But I'll be damned if they're going to, in her eyes, lowball her again without her being lawyered up saying, uh-uh, ain't happening now. I, I think that Vanna White is more important than Pat Sajak. Sorry, I said it. Mm, go off then. I mean, it is. I know a lot of people made a big deal when they went from the actual flipping letters right. to just the touchscreen letters yeah, there. Yeah. Welcome to the new age. You can't criticize Vanna for that. She's been clanging and banging out there for a while. I see no reason. <laughs> you need a bridge program here. You need something familiar. That's what it was about bringing Ryan Seacrest over. Someone you knew and trusted who's got to be there for this transition. And I think keeping Vanna on board would be the right way to go about this. This, this is what I want to do. What... I want the letter turning now to be the person doesn't know where the letters are who's turning it, and they have to be good enough at spelling to know where to turn the letter. Like if it's up there, phrase, and all the letters are up there, and the person says S, and Pat says, yeah, there's four of them. That letter turner has to know where the S is. Oh, I are. bet Vanna's got that nailed down at this point. She's been in the game for a while Come now. Come uh, you think? I, how I, many people you think would... Charlotte, how would you do on that? No, no hints, not knowing where there are, having to know where the letters go. I can't spell anything for the love of God, Mike. I'm I'm a writer, not a speller. <laughs> there we go. See, check. we've come up in a day and age where we've got calculators to avoid dad's yeah, weird true. mental math stuff, yeah. and we have got the little red line that You're pops right. up underneath all our devices to let us know we've made a spelling mistake, and all we are is a right-click away from being able to fix it. Um, let's get to the real uh, coup de grace of this show here. We've got the world's largest cruise ship set to set sail. Charlotte, I know you have researched the Royal Caribbean International's Icon of the Seas, a mammoth 365-meter-long cruise ship that will weigh approximately 250,000 tons. So as our resident large vessel expert, Charlotte, what stands out to you about this cruise ship? Well, listen, Mike, so I was so eager to talk about this, I cut you off. Uh, I have been seeing ads for this for a long time now, and I've actually looked this ship up before because I'm like, what is the deal with this light-up ship? It has the world's largest floating water park. It has 40 different restaurants. It is a staff of 2,530 people, last I checked. And uh, it just seems like uh, there's something about it being somewhat green, too, but I don't know how much I buy that. Um and, and I just, I'm very excited to, if they don't release like a making of documentary or at least something on YouTube, I'm going to be really pissed because I, I've watched a lot of, a lot of content about how cruise ships are made and they do it in like contain, I mean, I, we don't have time. We don't have time, but this is a very big day for me. Thank you. I, I'm excited for you, Charlotte. Dad, I'm worried for everyone else though. We need to stop messing with the ocean. Yeah, listen. Like, have we not learned from the submersible saga yeah. and all of the orca, orca stuff attacks. right now? We're basically just lobbing the orcas yeah. an alley-oop here and waiting yeah. for them to dunk this home. Here we go. We call them 5,610 passengers or possible meals. I mean, you know, what What are we doing here? But, but it is monstrous. You mentioned the water park. It's named Category 6. It'll feature six record-breaking Which, water by the slides. Way, I'm sorry, not to cut you off. That is a that is a hurricane joke. We're tempting fate. What are we yeah. doing? That's like, what I mean. It's like, I, I it's agree. like naming it's naming the submersible Ocean Gate, and then yeah. calling the water park Category Six. Like we know how yeah. it's going to end. Our, our I, nautical I, yeah. hubris is yeah. out of control right yeah. now. And just just to put how big it is to people that can you know visualize when you sit there and say meters and feet, it's basically four football fields long. That's how I like to measure things. It's four football fields long it is absolutely which is but a mammoth. speck to the ocean 
Yes, it's, yes. Ex- it's exactly right. It has seven pools and nine whirlpools, which means there's a whole lot of pee going to be in those things. Yeah, a whole lot of pee question. when all of a sudden yeah. the orcas start banging down yeah. the side door here trying to come They're in for dinner. They're going to need a lot of orcas to team up, though, because this thing is pretty big. They're going to need a whole pot of them, right? The, or, the unionized orcas have shown their might throughout the ocean. We <laughs> do well to just pivot to space right now. Go for the other frontier. These doors are closed. The doors to this podcast remain open, however, if you enjoy enjoyed it download subscribe rate review leave us a five-star rating check out the wilderthings.substack thanks and we'll talk to you tomorrow go, go. boom money in the bank lots of things are better together hockey food golf gojo and golik luka Doncic and kyrie irving in the 2024 nba postseason you get it But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York.